But if we can take off, like you said, the stigma around this thing, mental health, we don't need to change the name. The name not going to take take anything away. Also, it's not getting to the root of the problem, right? We even when we're talking social justice, it's like, oh, let's change Pac to BIPOC because, like, and I'm like, still racist. We're still <laughs> we change the thing. Don't change the name. I need to get to the root. We need to turn it and like dig it out. Like that is what this is about. So no, we're not just gonna change the name. I'm not just gonna do normal therapy when I sit across from someone. I'm going to shake everything up. Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Opolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome back, listeners, to episode 57. Our guest today is Whitney Dodds. Whitney and I got to sit down and talk about mental health and stigmas that exist with mental health, and then also talk more specifically about cultural stigmas related to receiving treatment in mental health areas. We were able to dissect some aspects of intersectionality, and Whitney very openly shared her story and her struggles and how that's made her more passionate about the work that she does and really motivated her through her passions to create something that didn't exist before. She has a bachelor's of arts in psychology from UMass Amherst and has a master's degree in counseling psychology for American International College. She currently is a licensed professional counselor in the state of Connecticut and a licensed mental health counselor in Massachusetts and is the founder of Wellness for the Culture, which originally started off as a mental health agency, but has grown to be more than just that, has grown to do diversity and inclusion work, education, you know, you name it, they do it. (laughs) She has a, a blog on her site and is really working on cultivating more programming around mental health and the the stigmas that exist around that and making it more equitable and available at the same time working on destigmatizing her local town of Springfield where she's from and then also where wellness for the culture exists. We get a little into depth about that too. This is a fantastic interview. You'll hear me say that several times in the actual interview process and shout out to Caitlin, my sister, who constantly makes fun of me for saying I love that in these podcasts. You'll hear that a couple times in this podcast, too. But without further ado, here's Whitney Dodds. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, even though we've been talking for a little while. Winnie, uh, super honored and excited to have you on the podcast. I'm glad that we got a chance to connect earlier and schedule this. 
Um, I'm wondering if you could introduce yourself to our um, listeners and our community and audience. Yes, I sure can. And thank you um, for having me and for thinking I was cool enough to invite me to your podcast. Um, so I am Whitney Dodds. I am the founder, CEO of Wellness for the Culture. It is now moved from just mental health practice to mental health organization um, with all the amazing moving parts and passions that I have um, in work in the community. Um, so if it's important now to tell you I have a one day you'll live scholarship branch of the organization. Um, I also have just moved on to creating a um, cultural wellness association um, for black and brown therapists. So that's my new initiative um, to support. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, I get to pitch it in a couple of weeks. So now it is not just the practice, there's these three moving parts and I'm looking forward to the being becoming a staple and a source of healing in this city and what city is that i know i know but oh, i want i want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about it. <laughs> this is springfield massachusetts um the the i'm gonna say it's like the double-edged sword right it's it's yeah. so many beautiful things but we're only known for the worst parts exactly uh, so i'd like to change that i'd like to showcase a little bit more of the beautiful things that are here and i would agree with that sentiment 100 percent. i i did my master's program at springfield college we lived in springfield for five years when we were starting our family and there are so many beautiful parts of it it's such a rich culture and community but i think people just see you know this stereotypical quotation inner city kind of feel yep. to it and yep. it's disheartening and they don't see the deeper levels of it so i'm glad that you're enacting change there i think that that's fantastic good. thank you yeah well thank you so tons <laughs> of questions obviously uh yeah. one uh i i don't I think this podcast is cooler for having you on rather than the other way around. So let, let me flip the script on that. Um, so wellness for the culture. Uh, I like what you said about that. It, it's, it's more than what it initially started with and now has become this movement, this moving piece, this organism of uh, mental health advocacy. And I, there's a quote on your website that I really enjoyed. It was uh, the mission was is to motivate uplift and educate on mental health and i think that speaks to you know where you're at right now and having that ability to do those things where did that come from Ooh. obviously um, being a mental health counselor is one thing but to to kind of expand out from just a job to kind of more of a passion is mm. what it sounds like to me um where yes. did that driving force come from so there's a, there's a long story. I'm going to try to make it um, <laughs> less than a whole hour, right? Um, <laughs> because I'm from the city, um, because we're only known for our worst parts, because there's so much trauma in the Black community, um, because there's cycles of oppression, cycles of trauma that, you know, just gets perpetuated over and over in so many different ways, right? Okay. Um, I was one of those people who struggled um, with you know, major depressive disorder with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I was a child who um, encountered sexual trauma as well as physical trauma at a young age from a, for 
extensive time, right? Over right. over my lifespan, um, to be diagnosed with those disorders at the age of 20. The thing I didn't get or didn't know to get was help, was therapy. Um, and it wasn't even a comfort, like necessarily a conversation. There was court ordered or mandated therapy um, when the court case all came out and when I had to go to trial and all that thing on a 12 year old, right? And on a 15 year old, so it's a, a thing. Um, but all of that, I just went through it kind of like, and then when I turned 20, at late onset PTSD, if you know anything about PTSD, it doesn't happen in the moment. It no. smacks you the crap out of you at some later point in your life. And you're like, what is happening? It, it, there was a trigger. Um, so I was going through a tough time in school, um, in college, and I noticed something was different, but only I only noticed something was different because I was in school already for psychology. So I'm like, oh, these look like the, the classic textbook that I just read last night. I'm doing yeah. these things. What's wrong with me? And so I then go to therapy and then I stuff, it just, it doesn't work for me. And then I attempted suicide at 20. Um, I survived high. Um, <laughs> so then I go through that process of therapy. I wonder what the heck happened and why did I go from that age to this age without help and I'm noticing disparities I'm, I'm doing more research I'm becoming more of an advocate and more verbal about my social justice and so I even went after college to do public policy policy and, and, and advocacy work and I was like mm, not there yet not quite right. Yeah. Um, there's some part here that I need. I don't like the access. I don't like the disparities. I don't like microaggressions and systems and, but there's something missing, right? The, the, the person, um, I don't want to just go for organizations. I, there's something about the person that I need still. So I left that program and then went to go get my master's in counseling psych. Um, it was there that I was like, okay, I, I don't just like psychology either. Like, I don't just want to, there's something still so wrong. And then I came upon a book, I keep it right here, um, Social Justice Counseling. And I said, oh, there's a thing, there's a name for this. Um, and so I connect the two. Advocacy and getting black and brown people into this space takes a particular set of skills, right? It right. takes because the narrative right now is that black and brown people don't want help. They don't want treatment. That's not true. Mm. It's just, there's so many systems in place that keep them from this space, trust, safety, right? Miseducation, um, bias. When you walk through a door, we don't know what someone's thinking of you. You don't want to give them the, your most vulnerable parts. You don't know what they're going to do with the information. And that's historical context that you must come into the space with and if you don't have that, you can't talk to an organization or a group of people. You're missing out on a, a very big demographic, right? So having that, that peace and social justice, having my lived experience, and then my psychological background allowed me to get to this space to in advocacy and social justice, as well as you know, the psychological part of it, all of it, I think everything is psychological, right? Everything is yeah. mental health. So yeah, that's where I am. Did I get there in enough time? You got there. <laughs> it, I mean, obviously we're going to continue the conversation, but yeah. I think you, you hit all, all these amazing marks. And let me just 
thank you for sharing your story because I know it's not always easy. It's something I, I try to do in each podcast to share a little bit about my story. And I, I think we actually went to the same undergrad college. I went to UMass Amherst for psychology as well. And oddly enough, in the middle of taking abnormal psych, had a very similar situation of feeling yes. this intense anxiety and depression. And, oh, this is kind of this unresolved stuff I never really brought to the surface came up and had a really tough semester where, you know, I stopped going to class. I stopped doing doing things and kind of thought about just joining the military instead of so I'd have more structure to push me somewhere. Um, that didn't work out. I, I think at the time I would have to cover too many tattoos. So I was like, ah, I don't know. Let me think on this a little bit. And it, it. It, it just kind of, it just kind of came, came back and I was able to sit with it luckily and, and do that work and kind of work through it. So thank you for sharing that. And I really appreciate that. And I'm so glad you're here. Um, thank you. And the podcast, but in the world in general, cause we need more, oh, more light. Um, let me talk about something that came up, I think, when you share, just shared that is this concept of psychology and everything being mental health, which is, you know, I've had a conversation with some people and they've said, well, can we change the, the title of mental health? It's got such a bad connotation. And I said, well, you know, it, it's not a bad connotation. It's just like people interpret it in a different way. Mental health is health. It is the same thing. And we could get into the systems in the body and the physicality and how they interact and digestive and heart and, you know, polyvagal theory and all that fun stuff. And so I think it, it, it's about taking a look at, you know, these concepts and, and breaking through those stigmas that relate to it, because it is a societal reaction to something that's very natural. Um, and if you look at our history, like you mentioned, psychology was made by white men, Right. And, and not really for, for the good of everyone. And we know it, you know, directly oppresses black people and, and women, um, the historical content of, of everything of that nature. So a lot of unpacking of that and makes sense. Uh, this is actually kismet that this is podcast that came up because I was actually hearing some clips from Fox News the other day. I like to try to stay informed on the other side of things a little bit and it's not fun <laughs> by any mm -hmm. case. but uh they had a huge debate because of the cdc recently uh, coming out and saying that racism is a pandemic and so they uh were fighting that notion and saying it's a waste of time to have that moniker and you know it's not true and if it was true it would mean that your neighbors are racist and in my head i'm like yeah it's <laughs> That's exactly right, you know. Um, so I like how how in a, even the name of your organization, Wellness for the Culture, is very palpable and strong about what it is that you're doing. Um, so I I like how that all wraps up into your story as well. So thank, thank you. you, thank you for thank sharing you. that. I want to say something about um, the changing of the names. I think the society is so so like bent on changing names right let's just change the name of that thing so maybe we can interpret it a different way no right. interpret it a different way first right mm -hmm. take the, the, the ideas that there's these things surrounding something so very good and, and and innocent and pure and we've created things based on experience valid right people have had terrible experiences yeah 
with a lot of certain things, right? A lot of movement intersectionalities, you have moving parts, right? So, but if we can take off, like you said, the stigma around this thing, mental health, we don't need to change the name. The name not gonna take take anything away. Also, it's not getting to the root of the problem, right? right. We even when we're talking social justice, it's like, oh, let's change Pac to BIPOC because like, and I'm like, still racist. We're still <laughs> we change the thing. Don't right. change the name. So, and that's what you're right. Wellness for the culture is that was very intentional. Right. It wasn't going to just be the practice of Whitney Dodds. It wasn't just going to be, you know, mental health services. It, it, it was never about that. It's because I need to address the I need to get to the root. We need to turn it and like dig it out. Like that is what this is about. So, no, we're not just going to change the name. I'm not just going to do normal therapy when I sit across from someone. I'm going to shake everything up. <laughs> I love it. I'm so excited. Just this <laughs> small part of the conversation it I mean it's needed right mm-hmm. um you know I think what's coming up for a lot of people who are starting to realize a lot of this stuff is just how these ideas of foundations that they've grown up upon weren't as solid as they they thought or you know I, I can only really speak for my experience but you know over the course of years and doing educational work of of challenge myself and my perspective and trying to think outside the box and listening when being called into things and really not being reactive which hey took a ton of work took a ton of work because my initial traumas and depression and anxiety made me really defensive right Um, yep and so it really there were these moments of oh i thought this was a really solid base of what i grew up on and this was the truth and it's not quite as clean cut as i thought it would be or clear cut as i thought it would be and i think it's healthy to to do that deeper root cause um turning upside down rather than just focusing on that um triggering word or triggering uh mm precipitating stimulus right um because it really is where where that change comes from so with regards to that um one for the culture does dei work as well and Mm -hmm. what i love about the dei work that is done um it's very much from, like I said, a mental health healing space. And that's why I love that I can reside in this space, right? Because I have multiple identities and I don't let one overpower another, right? And so when you're talking about the work that needs to be done, self-compassion is very, very important because I, as a he, uh, I'm not a healer, I'm a, a holder of space for healing, mm-hmm. right? Um, I never want my my you know allies and 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 white friends, families, all of the things, right, to come in and feel so broken that they feel worthless and throw their hands up, right? Because sometimes I think that that's what comes to it, and it's like yes, but com- self compassion is important when noticing this because it is two parts. It is a part that says, "This is who I am. This is how I was created. This is the system I was brought into." I don't necessarily have the most control over this thing. I'm self-aware. I self-accepted, right? And the second part is the get her done, right? 
but there's also some change I can make. There's, there's some lessons I can learn. There's, there's ways that I can view the world differently. I can take off this blinder and this, oh, this is just the way it is blinder. Right. And I can say, what can I do differently? How can I move in the world differently? What spaces can I create? And it's not saying hate yourself, right? Because that's not, that's not who I I am. That doesn't, there's no healing there, right? right? There's no help there. So self-compassion is the like number one tool when wanting to do this work because I think the reason why it is so rejected is because currently it's like we're not our ancestors we didn't put you into slavery Mm -hmm. yep yep but the systems and the things around you well I didn't do it I didn't I hear you absolutely this is not who you are And, and but it's like you said because it's just like, I didn't do it. I didn't, I, and you reject the information that is coming to you. You, the self-compassion is just, you have to have it first. Yeah. I mean, on a much smaller scale, so I'm not trying to equate the two, but it's mm-hmm. very similar with not like self-compassion is, is how you make that change. Right. So awareness first thing. So being able to say, yeah, this is, this is true. And maybe I didn't have a hand to play in it, but I can do something about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think on a much smaller scale, it's, it's similar to like the defensiveness of when you know that something you're, you're living isn't quite your truth or the truth that it should be or doing right. And then someone says, hey, have you looked at this? And, and you say, you're wrong. Why are you attacking me? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very yeah. much like that. And, you know, I always joke around in, in session with some of my clients and say, even on a small scale catching yourself in that moment and bringing awareness and then shifting is really important and will have a bigger effect and much bigger scale. If you can sit with that, mm-hmm. but my, my joke I always use is when my daughter was born, she was, I think she was probably like seven, eight, eight months. And my wife was upstairs and said, Oh, who didn't put the toilet paper on, on the roll. And I'm downstairs with my daughter. And I said, well, I don't know. And then I catch myself and I said, well, she knows it wasn't her and <laughs> my daughter. It definitely wasn't my daughter. Uh, so then usually I would just let it go. And then I was doing some work and I said, yeah, that was me. I don't know why I even said that. My wife, and it wasn't even an issue, but in my head, oh, don't, don't omit that. Like you had a role to play in it because of that history of defensiveness and history of those things. And again, much smaller, but I think if we can bring that awareness and shift and saying, it's okay that you did that, or it's okay that you failed or this happened, but you can learn and adapt and change, you know, in any aspect of your life, it's going to have a bigger impact in the entirety of your life. That I'd like that you did that. I think sometimes when you're bringing too big of a concept, right. Into someone and they can't, it's too big. And so mm-hmm. to say something like, I didn't put the roll back on the, you know, the, the, the <laughs> yeah. issue, right? Like somebody's like, huh? Oh, I get it now. Right. And that's how you have to give it to people. I, again, the work I do is I'm tackling whatever comes through the door and sits on my couch, right? I'm meeting where them exactly where they're at because to try and have expectations for someone to be where I'm at, that's just impossible. And it sets both of us up for failure. Right. That's not success in this world. That's not how we, we work this. So 
if you come into the world, uh, into this room, I mean, and you can't grasp systems, I'll tell you the story about the roll of tissue too, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's these like smaller digestible pieces that, yes. that can kind of come in. So I'm glad you mentioned self-compassion because I was going through your blog over the last week just to kind of read, which I want to say, I'm going to put it in the show notes because I think it's fantastic. It's uh, fun to read. Uh, but also very serious. So a good balance of personal, like your personal story and your personal interests, but also um, the movements and in, in organizations that you're doing in education, mm-hmm. which I always find is the best kind of reading to have a personal narrative kind of extrapolating these bigger pieces into smaller. Yeah. So you had one on self-care versus self-love. Yeah. And I feel like the self-compassion kind of fits in, in there too. Can you tell, talk a little bit about that? Like what the difference is between those concepts? So it's essentially what we were kind of talking about when I think about people are, are like radical self-care, like you got to do this thing right now. And like, this is the answer. It is. However, people are not compassionate enough toward themselves. They don't deem themselves worthy. So then they cannot get into self-care if therapy is self-care right let's mm-hmm. just let's just say that it it's is true. right yeah. it's helped you find it beneficial it makes you a better person if if that's who you are and but if you find like oh i don't have time oh it costs too much oh oh this but which means is the investment that it takes to do this self-care practice you are not worthy of because you have now deemed something else more important than your self-care need so we have to get to the root of why you don't feel you're important enough to do to make this time out to carve this hour out to spend this money or shift pivot whatever it is that you need to do to make this thing that is so helpful and beneficial to you where do we get that and so i've navigated it in four different pieces the first part is is like historically and like trauma in in trauma related things is like something happened to you at some point in life and you started to believe certain things certain uh narratives right if i i like to use currently like covid right so right now during COVID, this thing has happened to everybody. And what we'll take away from this is probably learned helplessness, more anxiety, um, that you like you have lack of control. And that any at any moment you could lose your job. So all these things, right? You're learning things. That's how your brain operates. What are we taking away from this experience right here? Next year, while we'll be out of the situation, you'll still have these beliefs and they'll play out in every other facet of your life. And until you get back to where did this start? Why did I start behaving and thinking in this way? Once you start getting there, then you have to get to a a, a place of forgiveness because if you stay there too long, depression, right? 
Right. Then with the, the doubt, the, oh my goodness, I can't believe I thought this way and I can't believe I played it out in this so many different directions. And, oh, I missed out on so much because I thought this way. I forgive myself for thinking this way. I forgive myself for the opportunities that I missed out on for not believing in myself, for thinking I was incapable, for thinking like, wow, I forgive myself for holding on to this grudge for 10 years that didn't serve me. There is the compassion part, but also because you are worth it. You are worth the compassion. You are worth the forgiveness. Now you get to make a change. Now, because I now know that it's this thought process became only about because of something that happened to me, I can do something about it. I'm doing something about it. Now we get into permission, right? Mm-hmm. I have now the permission to change the way I think. I don't want to think that I don't have any control. Now I give myself permission to accept things I can't control, but also make change. Here are the things I can control. I give myself permission to make money. That's hard for some people, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I'm coming from trauma. I'm coming from a lower income background. I'm coming from um, a, a a poor parent or, or something like that. Right. And so now I've been living in this mindset for so long and I've been hoarding my money or I've not been able to care for myself or I've, I've never even aspired to more because of this, this process. Right. So I give myself permission to go back to school and be that thing that I said I couldn't be that whole time. Right. Permissions. What are you going to do? Right. With this freedom now you have, if you've ever been forgiven, right. What does that feel like? It's freedom. It's you, you get to move your shoulders around a little bit. Yeah, it's just lighting. Yeah. So when you have that, you start, you start being able to do a lot more with yourself. So there's the permission. I give myself permission to, you know, wear funky earrings just cause like why I would never let myself do that before. Right. These, whatever it is, I'm giving all these examples, but these are things people don't let them do. They seem really small. And then you affirm that thing. And whatever way you can affirm that thing you get it whether it's people from the outside whether it's you writing it down on notes every single day until you start to really believe that thing and I always say there's this idea of fake it till you make it right the uh, (laughs) the affirmations are not going to seem real just yet imagine living some a certain way with a certain set of beliefs for 30 years right you think that after doing my workbook in one hour, <laughs> you're going to be like, this doesn't work. And you're going to throw it away because it was great in the moment. But then a week later, you're like, oh, so give yourself some grace. Remember that self-compassion. Remember all these things. And sometimes you need to write it on the walls. Sometimes you need to talk to someone to say, these are the things that I want to affirm. I need to hold myself accountable to this thought process and this this way, this new way of life that I believe I'm worthy of living. So if you can get there, you'll eventually, eventually it'll start sticking. The science behind it is right. Your brain learns things. It forms synapses, right? This is how it operates. When trauma happens, you know, this is how it lights up. This is how it works. And in order to unlearn something, you have to do something for a certain amount of time, right? Right. For your brain to start forming new processes. 
processes, something, you know. Yeah. And <laughs> I didn't go into the both. I think part. both work, you know. <laughs> so if and in order to do that, it takes repetition, it takes rehearsal, it takes affirmation. And it, it, this idea is rooted in cognitive behavioral therapy, right? right? Yeah. Change your mind, change your world. Once you start doing something differently and moving in a different direction, it becomes real. And there you have self-care via self-love. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just so excited. I know this, my, my sister's going to laugh when she listens to this and like, stop saying the same thing over and over, Steve. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it, this really connects to me and how I, I try to do the work that I do, but also what I try to internalize. We have in the Opolinic family, there was this kind of saying of no Opolinic is ever going to be rich. My grandfather said it, my dad said it to me. Um, my wife and I were talking about it one day and she does a lot of Reiki and energy work. And, you know, we were having an honest conversation. She said, if, if you keep affirming that, it's just going to be true, right? But you got to remove that block and just open things up and just say, you know what, maybe we aren't, but we're going to be open to the opportunities of it. We're not going to be blinded by that. And, you know, I, I like, it's funny that you bring up fake it till you make it because it, it is something that's come up before in the podcast. And I get the concept. I'm not a huge fan of the saying of it because, yeah, yeah. you know, I think it is, it, it's more about giving your, that permission step, give, give yourself permission to be open to this, do the, do the work. Like it's not fake. It's just, you're in the beginning stages of it. Um, mm -hmm. And then I always follow up the conversation of repetition and pairing a new emotion and kind of syncing those things too. So I was just kind of geeking out in my head as you were, you were talking. It's like, yeah, all the points I like to talk about too. So um, yeah, we we should all be saying the same things, right? Right. If we're all got the same goal in mind, it's just I love the 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 flavor everyone puts on it, and there's mm. no wrong way. Right. You have an audience and they receive you and I have an audience. And, but like, I love the affirmation of the same way. When I hear somebody saying a thing, I'm like, ooh, 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 ooh. like Sonia Renee Taylor. I listen to her a lot. Yeah. And she says, she says similar, uh, talks about the self-compassion part. And I like, oh, I say that, but I don't say it her way. And I like her way. And I say it my way. And, and I love when people draw the comparisons in between. It's like, okay, I'm on the right path. I'm doing the right things. Right. Yeah, I'm, I, there's a bunch of authors I like who, when when I read their story, I'm a huge fantasy guy, um, mm -hmm. and when I read some of the stories that that key into this idea of bibliotherapy and catharsis and, and processing through that, which is actually my organization's working on something right now related to that, which I'm really excited about. Um, not ready to announce yet, but I'll let you know when we are. <laughs> um, it, it, I kind of geek out because it, it's this idea of, okay, I'm reading a story about a character and I'm so invested in it. And then they introduce this concept specifically, most of the time it's around mental health, which is always exciting to see me for me to see in characters that don't exist, but have real world implications. Right. Yeah. Um, and then just say, Oh, that's the same philosophy I have on things. It's just worded a different way that makes sense and people can connect to it. So uh, one of the ways I kind of try to combat imposter syndrome, if it comes up is, oh, no, no. Okay, cool. I'm good. 
this guy, this guy's, uh, or, you know, I recently have been reading a lot of fantasy written by women um, because when I was younger, I was only really exposed to male writers. And I find that way more now that I, I enjoy the shift in narrative and the shift in gaze because it, it's more encompassing. And, you know, having a young daughter, I, I geek out on that too. Oh, she can read these and feel empowered. Whereas the same way I did, but, right. you know, maybe I wasn't quite ready yet because I hadn't done that work. So very okay. cool. So I'm really yeah. excited. Um, okay. So I think we hit all the, the things I really wanted to bring up in a way that, you know, was really natural and I didn't have to go point, 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 by point, <laughs> which always makes me excited because I don't like to come off as robotic unless I'm a cyborg, which may be in the future, who knows. Yeah. Um, so I have a couple of questions for you that we, we use towards the end of every podcast and um, I'm going to just hit you with them. Uh, so I'm going to give you both and you can answer in any order that you want. Sure. So if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Mm-hmm. Assuming we're in a world with superpowers. And then the second is, what do you think your real life superpower is? Ah, okay. So I always try not to be so realistic and thoughtful in everything I do. So, because I do that a lot every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But if I had to have a superpower, I always say I'd love to be able to go wherever I want, whenever I wanted, right? Like, I don't want to think about plane tickets. I don't want to think about money for plane tickets. I just, tomorrow or like today, it's a nice day. I have a few hours. I'd love to go to the beach. And like, boom, I just ended up in like Punta Cana real quick. Right, yeah. <laughs> so like, I guess teleportation would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, teleportation, or I've heard it called instant transmission. Yeah. Where you just think oh, it and you're there. Yeah, you know? that would be beautiful. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I, I, <laughs> no one's really kind of keyed into that, but especially now with everything, you don't have to worry yeah. about being exposed to a bunch of people and just get there. That's exactly, and, and I always said that I'm like, if I could just and wake up like on a beach or like in the forest watching a uh, waterfall anywhere like because those are the the, the places and and when I want to ground myself I love these places so mm. I would love to just get there right um the real life superpower is hearing genuinely hearing someone putting me to the side to hear someone and repeat it so they can hear it themselves. Um, Sometimes I get, I don't know how you said the thing I was trying to say and you just said it and I'm like, I just repeated back to you what you said to me Um, because I was genuinely hearing. I think a lot of times people do not feel heard in any given space and they're always met with the other person's intentions, the other person's philosophies, thought, worldviews. And I am, I think, gifted in that I can shut me down and hear. I'm not perfect at it all the time, right? But if I think about my favorite superheroes, they ain't perfect all the time either, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think that that's my super power. I can hear things. Um, and repeat it back. That's awesome. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. There's so one grounding, I think is super important. I, I don't think people really do that enough just with mm -hmm. the hustle and bustle of, of the world. And, you know, especially in sometimes in the line of work that we're in, it's really hard to, again, yeah. because you carry so much of uh, the interactions with other people. And so I try to make it a practice as much as I can, either in between sessions or at the end to do some kind of grounding activity related yep. to Qigong movements or, you know, depending on how it is, going home and just walking in the grass a little bit um, to connect with earth and, and feel grounded in that way. So I love that. And then also hearing and, and really helping there's a, there's actually a really interesting meme that I thought of when you were thinking about that. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a, a picture of like the stereotype stereotypical therapy and they have, you know, one person sitting on the couch and it's a jumble of yarn and, and things of that nature. And, and then yeah. it connects to the therapist and their individual schools. And that's, that's exactly, I think what happens when you're so invested, you, you have these really amazing moments as you know being a client myself at times um where you don't feel like you have an answer but given some repetitive reinforcement and connection and validation you you find that way absolutely i just gave that uh example and meme right in the, <laughs> my group session this morning one of the members said, you know, I don't always have the right words to say, and I don't know if it's cohesive or coherent. And I'm like, just talk. Yeah. Just talk. I'm just listening. And whether you fumble your way through it, however you get there, as long as you arrive. Yeah. So, yeah. I love that. And I love the ability to connect with people and, and be able to say, look, there's no judgment. Just get it out. And then we'll see what, what we have and talk, talk mm -hmm. through it. So it's awesome. All right. Any last words of wisdoms you want to leave wisdoms, last words of wisdom that you want, want to leave for our clients, any gems of knowledge or um, intriguing thoughts you've had along the way? Yeah. Um, I love to say that the best part of therapy, and I think because there's such uh, old, connotations, negative stereotypes, stigma around it is therapy should always be a space where you can name your experiences um, and validate them. That's two parts. When you are able to have a space where you can say, oh, wow, this is the thing I've been experiencing for so long and wow, I didn't know her name, and oh, other people feel this way too, wow. And there's validity in that. Your experience matters, your narrative matters. The way you see the world is just as important as anyone else sees this world. That is what therapy should be, and, and to hold tight. And if your experience doesn't look like that, understand that that is one experience and you have the privilege to go find that space for you so there's my gym <laughs> there's so much freedom like so much opening of the heart chakra and freedom that that comes from that from feeling like oh i'm not the only one who's mm -hmm. felt this way or ha had this thought um i can't tell you how many sessions i've had with 
people who connected with other people and they say, oh, I know this sounds really, really bad, but I was so excited that this person went through the same horrible experience as me. And, you know, obviously we did some processing through it that it doesn't sound bad. It's, it, you know, you have to focus on your self-compassion, right? Um, right, right. But, but it is, there is real freedom in that ability to, to be able to state that and feel validated through it. Well, Whitney, I'm so honored and happy you came on the podcast, made the podcast a little bit cooler and <laughs> maybe it rubbed off on you a little bit too. We'll see. Um, but thank you. I'm honored and uh, grateful for everything you shared today. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be on the podcast, please outreach to us at info at the Promethean Project.org. If you want to learn more about the Promethean Project or if you would like to donate to our cause, you can reach us at the Promethean Project.org. If you really do enjoy this podcast, please share with your friends, like our posts on social media and Instagram and on Facebook. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to. Again, thank you for taking a listen. And remember that the most important step is always the next one.